Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor. Myself, Nick Hill, joined by Daniel Foch. New episodes every Tuesday and Friday morning. And we've got a great episode for you today. And we're going to start this episode off with a review, as we like to do when we get great reviews, and a very cool story. And then we're going to get into the the meat of the episode here. Yeah, and then um, we'll get into the five things that everyone should be doing this year, especially if you're looking to break into real estate investing or if you're early in your journey, so more of a beginner episode. Um, but I think it's lessons that will be of value to someone no matter where they are in their real estate investment journey. So first off, let's read this great review. It says, number one real estate podcast in Canada. I like that math. I'd uh, <laughs> I'd expect nothing less from these two beauties. That's in all caps, by the way, with three exclamation marks. Keep up the good work. So you know you know they mean it when when it's yeah. presented like that. More real world deals, more guest speakers, more market update episodes, and do a full episode on MLI Select, please. Three exclamation marks. This looks like me when I'm emailing a client. <laughs> Hate the Drake is the uh, is the name there. I guess they are not a fan of maybe maybe it's the Drake Hotel in in Toronto. I don't know. It couldn't be it couldn't be Drizzy Drake. Could no, it? nobody can hate him. Maybe Drake from Drake and Josh. That's like the only Drake that. Is, uh... <laughs> anyway, yeah, Drake. There's uh, there's not hate or hate. H eight is uh, I guess like a license plate, right? Great plate. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> just love and support for you here. So um, thank you, we appreciate it. And uh, if you're listening and you like that review, go and tr- see if you can beat it. Give us a better review. I, I dare yeah, you to try. We've, we've had some great ones. <laughs> and yeah, Dan, you're right. Speaking of love and support, I, I we don't usually do this. This might be the first time we've, we've ever done this, but I got to read this email as well. Now, this is exchange between myself and one of our amazing listeners that reach out to us. Again, email is in the show notes. Dan and I are just regular people. We are quite busy, but we do get back to everybody that reaches out to us. So it says, hey, Nick and Dan, I've been listening to Simone and Braden's podcast since inception and by proxy i started listening to yours bi-weekly really great content by the way and i have learned a lot over the last hundred plus episodes i've been interested into investing into a mic for several years now and i tried to invest into a private mic but unfortunately my territory of residence which is the yukon territory and my net worth made it impossible to do so. So I instead invested in a publicly traded MIC versus the private that he was trying to do. As a liquid publicly traded MIC, I would prefer not to be tied to Mr. Market's mood swing. I love that powerful consumer sentiment, the invisible hand that moves the market. He goes on to say, I think for the passive hands-off real estate investor out there, mix should be discussed in your podcast as a way to get your foot in the real estate world without that midnight phone call about a clogged toilet. Uh, yes, that, that favorite phone call that every landlord gets every Saturday night. Uh, he, he signs off with the email. Anyways, I am surely not the only Canadian looking for this type of investment deal. Have a wonderful day, Raphael. P.S., trekking into the Peruvian Andes at the moment. So I respond, hey, Raphael, thanks so much for listening and reaching out. The Peruvian Andes, that is awesome. 
Yes, we have been meaning to write a full episode on a Mick. For a while now, your request will be met. Thanks for the support and safe travels. And that's where it gets cool. Raphael responds, thanks, guys. Looking forward to a new episode every week. I'm actually going to be doing a solo trek on the Heohash circuit in the Andes on Saturday. And I'm going to be bringing a bunch of pre-recorded podcasts with me at 5,000 plus meters. There you go. So if you don't leave us a review that's better than the other review, try listening to our podcast at a higher altitude than Raphael. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, I think we were going to have somebody on. There, like, There's a couple of mix that we work closely with. And we've actually been in talks of potentially having a fund, um, a white-labeled fund ourselves for something that we're passionate about, which is... Uh, ADU and det- detached ADU construction, like modular a- ADU construction, because nobody's financing those things yet. Mm. So, you know, discussions that we've been having. So we will likely have, we should get uh, the two the two we, individuals we, we, on. We yeah, talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Don't, don't, yeah. yeah we we so, get into it in the episode here. Yeah, so... Um, anyway, how cool is that? This guy on an epic adventure hiking through one of the best trails in the world, and we are going to be in his ears the whole time, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like we're there, right? Kind of? Yeah. Not really, but... Yeah, um, the Andes are the highest mountain range outside of Asia and the longest continental mountain range in the world, by the way, which is this huge highland along the western edge of South America. Wow. So you're basically telling me lots of time to listen because it's it's a long mountain range. Yeah, I think he planned the trip just to, to get time to listen to the podcast. Just to get away and, and listen to us in peace. Yeah, Raphael, we really appreciate it. And actually, this the uh, Hayuash Circuit, which I'm pronouncing horribly incorrectly, is actually one of the top 10 most beautiful hikes in the world. So there you go. I'm going to pull up some pictures of this while you're babbling on. But Oh, um, man. He sent a picture. He sent us a picture. I'll send it to you. Yes, it's, uh, it's awesome. He was like his base camp. It was really cool. Love it. Yeah. So let's go through our own epic adventure here on this episode. We are going to be looking Ooh. at the five things that you can do if you're just getting started in real estate. But you can also be doing these and should be doing these things if you're an experienced investor as well. There's this concept called beginner's mind. I think it's like it actually comes from like Buddha, where it's like looking at everything as if you're a beginner. So you know, I think like uh, some some more advanced people, Naval Ravikant talks about this as well, right? Mm. So beginner's mind. Let's. So what's the first one? The first one is educate yourself. Yeah, and we're, so what we're going to do is like there's the five things, and underneath each one of them, we're going to give you some suggestions on on where and and how to accomplish these these things we're recommending here. And the first one under educate yourself is attend events. It's so easy. We just did a whole episode on networking at these events. So go listen to that. Take the insights that we've given and see which ones align best with your personality and then go execute them at these events. There are always events happening and so many great opportunities to meet great people and learn great things at that of, at those events. So if you get a if you, if you learn by osmosis, if you learn by connecting with people, there's a whole world out there waiting for you to be discovered at these events. So tons of education, get out and uh, get active. If only there was like a, like a national like podcast that had like a network of events. That like happened every second Tuesday of every, every month at yeah, like a, you know, local, yeah. You could if find it in the show like notes that. of the podcast and uh, yeah. just direct you to a meetup.com page and then you could just join one. <laughs> and if you wanted to, if you felt so compelled and said, oh, there isn't one in my city, you could actually just start one on your own and they would give you all the resources to do that. 
Great idea, Dan. Those th- sounds like good guys over there. If somebody did that, I would, I would consider stuff. them to be smart people. <laughs> the next piece of advice under the educate yourself umbrella is books and podcasts. Well, congratulations. You're likely a podcast listener because you have been listening to Dan and I, you know, books and podcasts, short form and long form content, and, you know, even YouTube videos. There's an insane amount of free content and free information out there. I mean, Dan, you and I haven't charged a penny for these 160 plus episodes that we've done now with an average listening time about 42 minutes. Wait, so you haven't been billing 42. listeners? I DM everyone who leaves Wait, us what? a review and send them a pay- <laughs> PayPal invoice. <laughs> yeah. Here's my Venmo. Fill it up. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've created hundreds of hours of, of free content here as well. And we're just a small piece of this industry. So, you know, outside our little operation, and there's so much amazing business investing in real estate material out there. So go take advantage of it. I can comfortably say that before I started creating content and really stepped up my real estate investing game, all I did was consume as much content as I could. Yeah, you did. You really, really did. Like I remember when you and I met each other. That's kind of how we met. Like you were, um, <laughs> yeah, you were consuming a bunch of my content, and then DM me told me that it sucked and you could make it better or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> And, uh, no, but, but like you, a little more diplomatic yeah, than that, maybe, but, but yeah, something like that. Yeah. And, um, so, so I would say like, you really, really, really are a testament to this, especially seeing that you're, you know, now like a leader in the space. So appreciate that. Pay attention to what this guy says on that one. Uh, the next one is invest <laughs> in yourself, which is, I mean, a lot of this is, is there's free education. Like I remember when I started off as a realtor, you know, most of this, I'm going to, I'm like, say, say this like really, really straight up, like the whole like courses, gurus, all that stuff. Like most of what that is, is community and accountability and consistency. And they aggregate it, they parse it. So you don't have to parse to go through like all of the YouTube videos to find which ones are the best and do a trial and error to see, you know what I mean? But when I first started, I was just doing, I would just go and listen to like Brian Buffini. This is for realtors, right? I would listen to his videos on on YouTube. You can do the same thing for real estate investing. You can, and then, and then if you want to take that next step, um, so go through free education. Once you've realized that free education, it might kind of illustrate to you that, you know, you want to take things to the next level for personal and professional development. And the next st- step after you've kind of consumed or like taken in as much information as you can is to is to start paying for it and paying for almost more of an accountability system, creating, immersing yourself in a community full of people, other people who have kind of you know, who are like, I, I guess coaching is, is another word for it. I mean, we just paid for coaching on how to, on how to run a, a course business and it's, yeah, it's definitely become worth a hefty it. Sum. Yeah. Like there's it, it yeah. a lot of dough. And, but, but I mean, on those calls that we're on, we're surrounded by other people who are running businesses like this that are absolutely crushing it. And that alone, like you get to learn from their successes, their failures, just having access to that. I mean, it could be, you know, thousands, like I think, you know, th- these courses are thousands and thousands of dollars, but that's probably saving us thousands and thousands of dollars of like, even if it's Facebook ads that we don't have to run because we learned, you know, and I mean, somebody was, totally. we, were, we were talking about our course to somebody the other day. And I was like, I, I actually think like a lot of people from our course have said, oh, wow, real estate investing is really hard and risky in 2024. I'm just not going to do it this year, right? Like maybe I'll do it later, yeah, but like right yeah. now I'm not going to do it. And I think had, had some other, had, had this existed two or three years ago and people could pay $2,000 to have that experience to talk them out of investing in 2020 or 2021, 
that you know the ROI, you know, you're seeing some of the losses but losses posted in the market right now, all this like loss porn that people post on Twitter and whatever. People losing hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. Like, I mean, to pay two grand to realize that investing is too hard and risky in the current market seems like a pretty decent trade off from my perspective. So and it doesn't have to be that, but like yeah, invest in yourself, whatever it is, right? Yeah. And just to just to add to that point, Dan, because I cause I love that, you know, in in the course and not to go too deep on here because we're not just here trying to trying we to we already know that, you're but, a guru nick yeah but uh if uh you know if if you take the course and you realize hey look uh you know the traditional sense of what people think about real estate investing you know go buy a duplex and tenant it and whatever that might not be for you but hey guess what there's a ton of other ways to invest in real estate through REITs through mix through GPLP structures right so we get into a lot of that and and I think you're right, Dan, right? Like it's all about getting that that mindset right. And a lot of a lot of having exposure to these not only the content, which which is obviously a great piece of it, but the the community, I think, is is what's really the driving force and what really is gonna have the immense value. So, you know, you got you hit a certain point, it's time to invest in yourself and get your mindset right. Then the next piece of advice here on on the kind of educate yourself silo would be write a business plan. You might have already done this. This might seem like, you know, an arbitrary task or a waste of time, but business plans change when the market changes and the market has changed drastically. So maybe it's time to redo the business plan. Maybe it's time to update the business plan. Maybe it's time to write a business plan for the new market or your new investment thesis. And Business plans don't have to be, you know, 20 pages. They can literally be one page and I'll give you a really simple outline of what it should include. Your executive summary, which is, you know, your main mission or your goal, some of the highlights, you know, you can have your company or brand description in there. So, you know, what, what industry or what product or what asset class you're going after, a little bit of a market analysis. Uh, so this includes your target market, demographics, and any trends you've, you've analyzed, your organization. So whether it's just you or others, other team members, what kind of structure does that look like? That's your power team. Who's doing what? Then of course, your your product or service. So that could be, hey, my product is apartment buildings or my service is managing apartment buildings. Your marketing and sales, how are you getting deals? How are you building your network? How does that, how does that, how are you finding tenants to backfill your, your properties and how are you getting that next deal? Financial projections, very important. How much money do you want to make this year? How much money do you need? Uh, and that's the last one is, is funding. So specify your funding needs, your sources, and your future requirements. And then, of course, if you're bringing other people on and you're building this business plan to show them what kind of rates of return are your assets going to spit out for your potential investors and partners. Great exercise to go through. Yeah, I think it's it's a really a more practical version of of goal setting and just like actually we talk about this in the course too. It's like, you know, imagine your goal is at the top of a flight of stairs. There's like 13 steps to get up a flight of stairs, right? To get to that goal. You got to see what each step is and and mechanize what that looks like for, to go from step 1 to step 2. Otherwise, it's just like you're just aiming at something and no path to get there. You know, it could be maybe your goal is to get to the top of the Hiawasha Trail while listening to the best podcast ever. Hiawasha. I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, that's a big old mountain. You're looking at it, right? Probably something cool at the top, (laughs) but you got to take a lot of steps to get there. So just remember, a simple business plan should be concise and easy to understand. 
Eric Rise in um, the Lean Startup talks about this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Just a one-page business plan. They call it Lean Lean Business Model Canvas is actually something that they have. And I mean, he's probably a little bit um, extreme from a real estate perspective. Like you can't really do that like a startup where it's like bring an MVP out, like bring out like the worst version of your product and then like let people criticize it and fix the problems. Yeah, you can't really do that with a duplex. Yeah, well, I mean, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a good <laughs> idea. Yeah. Yeah. But your, your real estate business should be as simple as possible. Boil it down to its key parts, right? And you should be able to communicate that simplicity to partners, investors, financiers, and everyone else. If you can't explain... This is why I love Twitter. If you can't explain something succinctly, you probably don't understand it well enough. You've got 140 characters. and It's 280 now, but... Uh, it oh, started, oh, yeah, it's, wow. You know, it started as a 140 because it was text-based, right? It was like SMS. So you would, you would SMS yeah. to, to Twitter. You had like your own... You, you recognize your number and then it would publish it to the website. Then wow. I... And you, fun fact, I've been on Twitter since that was a thing, which is crazy. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. So. 35,000 followers later and here we are. You're still crushing it. So... If anyone doesn't follow Dan on Twitter, make sure you go do that, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate that. <laughs> the, uh, the next one here, Dan, create value, right? Another thing we talk a lot about. The first one for me is finding people. Now, how does that create value? Well, real estate is a people business. I personally have made myself very valuable to my partners in a few of our different businesses just based off my ability to find and develop relationships with with good people. We then bring those people into our organization or utilize them in whatever expertise they have. And that's created a ton of value for us. Yeah, for sure. The other one is find deals, right? Like, and this is something that we talk a lot about on the course too. Talk a lot about it on the show. The easiest way to create incremental value is to get a good deal. Like, if you if you can go and negotiate a deal below market value and you bring it to an investor, you've built in equity for them, and that's usually equity that you can ask for part of, right? You could say, "Look, I got you this deal. It's worth a million bucks. We negotiated at nine hundred k with whatever favorable terms. You know, there's a hundred k." equity that I just am handing you. It's a pretty good position to put yourself in. So this one never goes out of style, literally never. People Finding people can lead to finding deals, but there are not a lot of ways to find great deals in this market. So there are a lot of ways to find great deals in this market. The big question is, in a lot of cases, who's willing to do it, right? Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to point number one, right? You got to find the good people. The next piece in in the creating value column is uh, by creating content. Dan, you and I know a thing or two about this. If you decide to go this route, though, first of all, proceed with caution because the content game is a long, fierce, and, and fickle place to be. <laughs> but you, but the content piece can also be it can be it can be fantastic. I also think it can be detrimental to your brand if done incorrectly. And I think we've been talking a lot about this. Not that you know, we consider ourselves experts in content creation, but I think we've done half decent. So I do want to do some kind of episode on how to present yourself online from like a real estate investor, a real estate professional, because I think a lot of people put content out and it's great to see it. I'm never going to knock anyone for putting stuff out, but you really got to think of just like everything, right? Reverse engineer. That's always what we talk about. Is your content adding value to the viewers? Who's your end Who's your end user of that content? What's who? Who do you want to 
do like what do you who's the person watching and what do you want them to do with it is there a call to action and you know you should be entertaining but also adding value uh and you should be able to give a lot and expect a little bit a little you know very little back in the content game so go back to that mindset piece have an abundance mindset put valuable stuff out and don't get too consumed with the likes or the shares and all that kind of stuff it's taken Dan and I literally years and years of doing free content and failed businesses and all this stuff just to get to where we are now from a content perspective. Yeah. Uh, there's a book called the science of getting rich. It's, it's pretty woo woo, but, um, but it is, uh, it's a great book as well. And, uh, I mean, it's really simple. Like it's a short book. It's like one of those books that's in the public domain. Like, I think you just go read a PDF of it on, uh, online but nice. um yeah because it's like so old but it was this i mean back then it was profound it's like literally how, how to get rich it's like always give people more money or more more uh, value than you're asking for in money back and if you can do that then you have satisfied customers and you can grow but and, and so that's like really i think a lot of people don't lead in content creation from that they think about it as like purely marketing not not giving away information or not not like being an educator and that whole thing is it's tough. Like if you're spending money on, if you're, you know, let's, let's say you're a real estate professional, you're going to spend money on marketing your brand. You're going to spend like a hundred K a year. You got to just think about it as that. It's like, you're, it's, this is saving you a hundred K a year. You got to give that value back to your audience. If you're going to expect to get some sort of return out of it. Yeah, for sure. I, the only thing I'll add to, to, to the content piece, cause I know we're going to do a full episode is leave ego at the door, right? This is, if, if it's like a vanity project kind of thing um, from the content side of things, People smell that real quick, and I think that turns a lot of people off. So, yeah, lead with value. Yeah, for sure. Next would be connect good people. Don't be afraid to connect people and don't expect to monetize it. I used to have that problem, man. I would like set two people up for a deal and I'd like expect to get compensated for it, you know? Just sitting there with learned, your hand out on the side. Yeah, lines. I mean, I learned pretty quickly <laughs> that it was just dumb, but you know, I was young and naive and just so learned from my mistakes. Like if two people are meant to work together and you can create value by introducing them, just do it and don't expect anything of it because they will not forget that and they'll you know you'll always get it back in the fullness of time i think if you're good at building relationships with which i mean i think nick you're a great example of this like you're one of the best relationship builders that i've ever seen making connections with new people you you know and you're good at staying in touch with people you can play a really really powerful role in real estate investing just by connecting people to one another honestly like don't discount the value of that yeah, exactly. And as you said, Dan, you know, it's one of those things that, and, and listen, there can be money made here. We're not saying that that's not the case, right? If it's a more traditional referral, then, you know, you're not out of line to, to expect a, a referral fee. But if it's not a more, you know, that more traditional transactional route where here's a mortgage agent or here's a real estate agent or whatever, connect good people and it will pay dividends in the future. Now, speaking of dividends, great segue into the next piece of advice here, the next bucket we're talking about, which is financing. You've got to figure it out. 2024 is not going to be the same as the last few years, the same as last few decades from a financing perspective. So you got to start thinking, how much money do you need? What are you going to be doing with the money? What will the returns of that investment money be? What rates will that money be at and for how long? All things to think about. And then there's a couple other nuanced pieces that are going to play big roles, I think, in the next 12 to 24 months. And that's 
understanding vendor take back mortgages or seller financing. So we've talked a bit about this. We'll do a quick refresher here. And then I think probably we're due for another full episode on this stuff, Dan, just because it's appeared so much in the news recently. So a vendor take back mortgage allows the seller of a property to become the lender. So that seller becomes the lender for that buyer. Now this option is used when a traditional mortgage don't really work or aren't available or the seller incentivizes the buyer to buy it. And that buyer may have had a hard time qualifying in the more traditional sense. So, well, it might not be the ideal solution. There are circumstances in which the, both the buyer and the seller would can probably consider taking one of these mortgages because if done correctly, it can be beneficial for both. Yeah. The buyer is still required to make payments to the seller in, in these scenarios. And there's some good tax advantages as well. So just like any other lender, the interest rate is determined by the seller and agreed upon by the buyer. It's typically higher. It, it I mean, functionally, it becomes like a private mortgage, right? Like the seller is basically giving you a private mortgage on their own property. So you you should expect pricing to be somewhere between a private mortgage and where your traditional mortgage would land. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess the that amount of money, like the actual portion of the VTB as well, that can vary. It can be enough to cover closing costs or or tax, or it can be a much larger part, right? I mean, we could we've seen VTBs in the hundreds of thousands and then and in even more so, you know, the bigger the deal, the bigger the possible VTB. So definitely something to be aware of, something to understand. These are a little bit more complicated and and not everyone knows how to put one of these together or how to propose one or negotiate one. So something to be aware of if you want to have that upper hand and and stand out. The next next piece here is partnership structures. So what role do you see yourself playing within a real estate investment and who do you need, right? Let's uh, let's talk about the GPLP structure in real estate, which is you know division of roles and responsibility between the general and limited partners. The general partner, uh, otherwise known as the GP, is responsible for managing the day to day operations of whatever project that is. They make the decisions, they oversee the project execution, and mostly take on more risk. And the the GP they may contribute capital to the investment. And they are also liable for losses. So, Dan, now on the other side of things, tell us about uh, high level what a limited partner does. Yeah, so an LP, I mean, they're limited in such that their risk is limited, their exposure to the deal is limited, but also their activity and, and upside is limited in the deal as well. So, often referred to as an LP, they're the passive investors. There's the capital. So, uh, you know, GP obviously has some capital in the deal. You want a GP who has some skin in the game. But I would say, like, you know, if you're to 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 get a little Marxist on you here, not actually, but Mar- <laughs> Marx kind of came up with the the difference between labor and capital. Capital. Labor would be your GP. Or they're doing more of the work in the deal, not actually labor, like manual labor. Although you can see GPs who are contractors and stuff like that. The LP would be more the capital. So I am always funny about labor and capital. Like uh, my Instagram thing says, like labor, and then it has one job, and then capital, and then another job land bank is <laughs> so it's just um like that that's really the best way to think about it is kind of the labor and capital relationship but lps typically have limited liability so they're not they're not like a director on the corp or mm-hmm. whatever but they also see a, a share of the, the project's profits based on their investment percentage gpl lp structure allows individuals and entities with specific exposure 
ex- expertise and experience to take on the active management role while attracting passive investors who you know just want to put money in a deal and invest capital without being directly involved in the day-to-day operations. So kind of hands-off passive investment. It is important to note that the specific terms of these agreements can vary based on the investment, the project, and all the negotiated terms between the parties involved. And it's something we don't talk too much about on the show because it is really like very directly within the scope of someone who's, you know, a lawyer or an accountant. Like it, it's not something that you, a mortgage broker and a realtor should be talking about too exhaustively. <laughs> and that's why when people ask about them on the course, or if they want to know more about this stuff, we bring in experts to talk about stuff that we aren't experts in, which is just about everything. Uh, just two guys sitting around talking about real estate twice a week. Yeah, great stuff, Dan. The next piece in figure out your financing bucket is Research different types of lenders, right? We've talked a lot about this. Look up lenders, what the what the rates are associated with different lenders. Um, you know, where are you finding your capital? How much do you need for how long? Will it be paid back? What kind of return are you promising your investors? You should be educating yourself on the big six banks and their mortgage products or their lending facilities, credit unions, money lenders, financial institutions, privates. Look at the private mortgage space as well and start to build contacts within all of these different verticals in the lending space and do that in a strategic way that will align and complement whatever investment thesis and strategy you've landed on. For sure. I think a big case or a big um, use case of this is when we are talking about earlier about mix, right? Our friend hiking through the Andes Mountains was asking us to do a full episode on mix. Well, we're going to, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, like there's a couple people we have in the space that we'd love to bring on to talk about it. Great friend of the show and a mentor who is going to be a guest soon. And he can tell us kind of about all the inner workings of a mix and what he's doing with his mic right now. And and I'm actually doing an article with uh, Reuters right now about mix and sort of what's happening with them in the market because there's a bit of a redemption issue, a bit of a liquidity crisis happening, I think, in, in the mix space right now. So yeah, let's maybe just quickly t- take a look at, at what a mic is. So a mic is, M-I-C, is... Mortgage Investment Corporation. It's a company that pools money from investors and lends it into mortgages. So rather, it's it is private capital, like it's like a private mortgage. But rather than you lending on one single mortgage and taking the one hundred percent of the risk on that deal, it would mainly fund. Uh, sorry, it would pool the capital together, and then you you know you'd be exposed to ten different deals as an example. So mix distribute the mortgage interest income received from borrowers as dividends to shareholders. Yeah, exactly. And investing in a MIC allows Canadians to diversify their portfolios and allows an entrance into real estate and that non-traditional route. Now, MICs, a few interesting things. They're not subject to income tax, so they avoid double taxation, which increases investment returns. However, MICs must follow specific rules outlined in the Tax Act. For example, they can only deal with Canadian properties and must invest at least 50% of assets into residential properties or deposits and up to 50% of assets can be invested in commercial mortgage. So they're, they're forced to diversify a little bit. And I guess, I guess that's kind of going back to that hedge fund model, right? Dan, you, you want kind of the long and short, or you're, you know, you have to play essentially pay both sides a little bit. So you're not too exposed to one thing. Additionally to that, make should have a minimum 20 shareholders 
with no single shareholder controlling more than 25%. So high level, Dan, how does a MIC work? Yeah, so a MIC is a flow-through entity. So they distribute all their net income directly to the shareholders. So this is how the MIC doesn't pay tax itself. This makes them similar to kind of a mutual fund trust or MFT, which is actually another way that people will um, will set up like GPLP structures or, or structures with investors. Um, and that basically just allows any earnings from a deal to flow through to the end user. Same as a REIT, right? A REIT is a very similar vehicle mm-hmm. where the REIT itself doesn't pay tax on the income. The, the investor who's invested in the REIT who pay, pays tax on that income through the dividend. So dividends are, are um, distributed to shareholders based on how much, what percentage they own. So investors purchase shares of a, of a MIC and then the div- they get a, a according amount in dividends. Most MICs function as private lenders, so they lend mortgages to probably your typically not your the stuff that a, a the same bucket let's call it that your A lenders are going to be in. So a little bit more risk, but at the same time they they obviously get a be- much better return. So that's where you're gonna, you're not you know you're not going to see people who are charging nine, ten, fifteen percent. They have to take on risk, obviously, to command those kind of returns on a mortgage. And MIX often manage this risk by setting a maximum LTV or loan to value to tr- or trying to keep mortgage terms short. The most MIX you're seeing in like one and two year terms. And they often focus on more major urban markets. So your Ontario, your, sorry, your GTAs, your Montreal's, your Vancouver's, right? So they'll stay kind of close to the cores. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great high level overview. And again, something we'll do a full exploratory episode on and, and have a real live Mick owner come and, and chat with us on it. So the last piece that I added in here, and we won't touch on it too much because it comes up almost every episode now in some capacity. And we, as per multiple requests, we will be doing a much more in-depth episode on, on CMHC's MLI Select program. And the reason I put this in figure out your financing is because there's all these new products out there. There's markets that don't have development charges. There's markets where CMHC's MLI Select is a lot more possible to to achieve points. Whether you're in like you're looking for the affordability or energy efficiency, so this is you know there's a bunch more stuff that could be in here. But the point of figure out your financing is it's not going to be the same as it used to be. You're not going to be able to just go to the bank and you know everyone gets a mortgage. This isn't the Oprah Winfrey show. You get a mortgage, you get a mortgage, you get a mortgage. You got to be a little sharper uh, these days because things have changed. So let's leave it there. We'll close out that bucket of advice and figure out your financing. Now we're onto the final two here, Dan. And this one starts off with niche down. Okay, so identify and pick a trend. There's so many good ones right now. Literally, we say this all the time. It's a renaissance period, meaning that it's a period of great change and great invention and a, a period where we're seeing a lot of opportunity that that can be grasped by the, by the people that are willing to do it. So we talk a lot about how to spot a trend, both here and, of course, in the coursing community. You know, an old example of a trend, just so people know what we're talking about, would be the Burr method, right? That was a huge trend for for a while. Whereas a new trend is multiplexing, right? That seems to be kind of the next frontier. So look into stuff like multiplexing, understand zoning, understand construction and adding units. And if you don't understand that stuff, go read about it, go listen to it, go to events and find builders and contractors. If you drive past a site and someone's doing what looks to be, you know, putting four units into an old house, 
go stop by and talk to them. Um, that's the way you're gonna figure out this this side of things and and and, and be able to properly identify a trend. Yeah, I think um, this is something like I'm just write, rewriting our um, the picking a market section of our course and um, something that's going to be a big theme, right? Like I think in our last episodes, we talked about how CMHC identified that, you know, this how slow a municipality processes permits is basically the leading in, leading driver of uh, unaffordability in that market. And so the as an investor, if, if our goal here is to, to create value and to create units, you have to be selecting municipalities that are capable of doing that for you or help, helping you do that. And and so and there's kind of two different streams here. And it's interesting because there's basically a line drawn at five units, right? So, and each each side of the line has, an, has a distinct advantage. And I know a lot of people try and, you know, are trying to figure out ways to get adva- both advantages where if you're below five units in a lot of cases, and this is true in BC, but it's also going to be true, this is true in Toronto where, there's no municipal development charges up to four units. So if you're fourplexing something that's in neighborhoods, you heard of the yellow belt being up zone to four units. If you're doing that, no DCs. So instantly doing that, you have a arbitrage almost. And and like it, this is actually cl- as close to a literal arbitrage. Like I know people joke about like gurus saying the world word arbitrage with real estate <laughs> all the time. Like you know, the arbitra- an arbitrage is the simultaneous buying and selling of, of something. Like you get to buy something at a cheaper price and sell it at a, at a higher price. So you're selling this, the unit, on a monthly basis. You're renting the unit out at the same price. Let's say, you know, I mean, Toronto's so so poorly planned that uh, let's say there's a high-rise building and, you know, 10-minute walk away, there's a old Victorian mansion in like Corso Italia, right? And there's a high-rise building 10-minute walk away. An 800 square foot unit in each building is going to rent for the same amount. Really, it is going to, or very yep. close. Very close, yeah. Maybe you actually get a premium for the old old uh, Victorian home. I'd, I was going to say, I'd feel like more people would prefer to, to live in something like that right. these days. And so you can put a unit in that old Victorian home for $60,000 less than the high-rise builder on a fee basis. And that's before even accounting for construction costs. The high rise builder is also going to be paying like $800 in creation costs. And you're going to be paying like 250. I think Altus construction cost guide just came out. So that's below four units is like, so below four units, you get the arbitrage in the city of Toronto. And it's starting to happen in most other markets the same way where you don't have to pay development charges to add up to four units. Then above five units, now all of a sudden, so five and above, now all of a sudden you have to pay development charges. So you're, you're, on the fee basis, you're competing with these developers. But now you have access to CMHC's MLI selection. I know we've talked a lot about this. We're not, not going to beat a dead horse. But on that, you get the best interest rate in the market, the best amortization in the market, and the best loan to value in the market because you're building purpose-built rental at five plus units. And so there's so much opportunity for small cap investors right now because a lot of these big investors don't want to be doing less than 10 units, really. So if you're a small cap investor doing a a building up to a fourplex or a five to 10 unit building, absolute slam dunk deal opportunities out there right now. And if you can't do it in a, like if you can't find a market where you can find land or projects that fit in the scope, you're probably looking in the wrong market and you need to be looking in a cheaper market. Cause as we just covered in that Cushman report and we're actually, I saw that Samantha rebooked in with us. So we're going to have her on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really exciting. exciting. Yeah. No, I'm very excited about that on that. We're, um, you know, there's five markets in Ontario where the yield to cost is really meaningful enough for you to develop in in today's market with rates 
cap rates, mm-hmm. et cetera, where they are. Um, there's probably 50 across the country where the yielded cost makes sense. Find them, right? Don't don't just think you got to do it in your own backyard because you know it well, because there are so many good markets coast to coast that need this kind of... Pro- the, our, our population is growing so much, it's going to spill over everywhere, everywhere, not just in the cores. Yeah, completely, Dan. So again, that's that's just... That's just good, solid advice. Let's let's do a quick recap before we move to the last one here, right? So, educate yourself. That's attending events, uh, books, podcasts, investing in yourself, courses, writing a business plan. Then there's creating value. You do that by finding people, connecting people, creating valuable content. Finding deals is literally the go-to. That one, that one will always stand the test of time. Uh, next piece of advice for for this year and beyond is figure out financing, understand VTBs, understand partnership structures, understanding the lending environment such as um, mix and REITs um, and CMHC. Niche down, which we just finished talking about, and that's you know picking a niche and and jumping in full swing. So whether that's I'm going to be the laneway suite person or the garden suite, or I'm going to be an expert in converting uh, single family to to multi uh, multifamily, or building um, five or more units or four units, whatever it may be. This brings us to the last piece of advice. And this goes, again, if you're just starting out, if you're in the first couple of years, or if you're a seasoned investor, my piece of advice is execute something this year. Literally from Nike, just do it. Uh, And this could be a bunch of different things. This could be executing a deal. This could be executing a partnership, a referral transaction. Again, you could bring a deal to an investor and stay in for equity. There's so many things that you can do, but... The thing is, you got to do something. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, and I think, like, even if it means like the the easiest place for somebody to start, if they're just looking for something to do to execute to get a win, I can't remember what book I was reading recently now, but it's about sort of like how how rich people and like wealthy people are very successful. Like, hot pe- people are really high achievers. How they kind of like stack habits. I don't know. Is it? Is it? Is that within? Um, Atomic habits. I can't remember what it is, but it's basically like habits. I think so. yeah, maybe I that's think what it so, was because yeah. I did re- I did reread that one recently. But you know, it's just getting like some wins under your belt. This is why I make my bed every day, right? You start start. I thought that's because you were uh, ex Swiss military. Yeah. <laughs> no. 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 Yeah. So like, I think if you just get a, a win, and what's a win? A win is like, and and I don't I don't recommend that most people act as like wholesalers, right? But finding a deal is probably the easiest win to stack, right? And it's like, and the win, like you got to pick your outcome too. Like, but what would you consider a win? Well, the win is like, find a deal that's so good that you can convince an investor to tell you it's a good deal. Like that's it. <laughs> they don't have to do it, right? And then yeah. the next piece, I think after that is, you know, like what's what's another example of a small win that you can do? It's maybe find a mentor, right? Like it doesn't have to be, you don't have to, you don't have to go and put a million bucks on the line and, and execute, execute a that. deal. But it's like, yeah. what's the first, what's the first, thing that you can do from this list that we just gave you to advance your and and I would consider myself a pretty advanced like you know I, I think I'm pretty far along in this whole journey of being a real estate investor and stuff like that man I wish I got a mentor earlier honestly like that's one thing like and, love, and it's just like and so and yeah. so and I and I I've said that on the show a couple of times but I can't really like it's so easy to think you know it all or it's just like in a lot of cases, it's just getting introduced to, to a little bit more perspective. And so sometimes people might want to listen to an episode like this and be like, oh yeah, it's like five things for beginners. It's like, 
if I followed all of the advice in this episode, I would be 10 times as far as I am. So, and, and, and I'm, and again, like I'm not, I'm probably like a intermediate to advanced person in the real estate profession and investment, et cetera. You know, I, I would still do all of the things in this, in this list. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I built this list in because you and I are doing all these things, right? We literally just paid for coaching. We still ingest tons of free content. We go to the events. I'm still looking for new mentors in all the different ways. We're still trying to keep up and identify new trends, still creating content. So this list came from what we were doing because I think we're doing a half decent job and I wanted to share it with everybody. So on that note, thanks so much for listening. We hope everyone new, intermediate, and experienced got a ton of value out of this. And if you want to get involved and you know get involved in an event or reach out to us and we can read an amazing email on the show or anything like that, if you liked what you heard, reach out to us. We love to talk to all of you. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.